This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everybody, this is Joshua Lewis with The Remnant Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today's show topic, we're going to be talking about the Trinity, uh, and specifically, uh, is the Trinity necessary for salvation? Uh, We're going to talk about it. It's going to be a great episode. You guys stay tuned. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As you can see, uh, we are doing our normal noon to one lunch theologians show, and I am here today with Michael Mitchell. How you doing, Michael? Good, 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 good. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. I'm excited, man, for today's show. Me too, man. Excellent. Me too. I'm excited. Times three. Excited times. I yeah. see what you did there. That's or clever. to the third power. To the third yeah, power. Something along those lines. Yeah. Actually, before we start talking about triunity, you know, we we were cut off by the awesome uh, bumper music last yeah, week. Yeah, the bumper music. Uh, right, right at the moment, uh, we were going to discuss just momentarily transcendental nature of God, mm-hmm. uh, transcendent nature of God, and imminent nature of God. Okay. I just want to close that off real quick. Let's do it. Uh, you know, God is both near and far. He he is both great and with us. And, uh, and, and we, if we're going to have a balanced understanding of who God is, we have to do that. We have to be able to embrace both his transcendence and his eminence. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a, a great example. Um, my wife and I, a few years ago, um, on our 20th uh, wedding anniversary, went down to New Orleans. And we visited that church in the Basilica. I think we oh, talked yeah. about it for yeah, a minute yeah. last week. And as we walked into that basilica built in the 18th century, we could see... You know, the, these vaulted ceilings and marble floors. And, you know, my wife doesn't have a Roman Catholic bone in her body. But she was moved to fall to her knees and pray. Mm-hmm. Because the whoever built that church had a mighty God. An Amen. awesome God. A, transcend, a transcendent God. one A God who transcends all that we understand, know, think, could see, taste, touch, smell, hear. 
And it was just an incredible experience to recognize that, that they appreciated beauty and transcendence. Now, you uh, contrast that with, for example, the church building where I, where I pastor. Uh, I love our church, but the, the building where I pastor is like a box. You know? Efficient. It's <laughs> very, very practical. Right. You know? it's, very, <laughs> it's very pragmatic. It's very, very utilitarian. And so it's a box. We stick chairs in there. And then we have worship. And if we were really fancy, we'd have a smoke machine as well. But, well, you know, we, we can't all be there. Yeah, we don't have the capri pants yet or the smoke machines, but we're, we're getting there. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're, we in evangelicalism, we're all about God's immanence. Mm-hmm. He's near to me. God is my buddy. He's my friend. I can take my problems to him. Mm. He hears me. He gives me, you know, presents for Christmas or whatever. That, that's how we see God. And our liturgical brothers and sisters see God as great and awesome and terrible and mighty. And it's a very different view, but they're not exclusive. Both are necessary. Mm. I would say to our liturgical brothers and sisters that they need to find a way to re-embrace the eminence of God, how near to us he truly is. Yeah. You know? And to my own people, I would suggest that uh, maybe we could learn how to recapture some of the transcendence of yeah. God. That's good. I preached on the fear of the Lord this Sunday on the church. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so How'd that was that go? Fun. It was good. I, uh, it was, I say fear of the Lord. It was the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, it said that the church grew during a time of peace. Mm. And we talked about how, how the, the backdrop that Luke is writing, specifically to mention there's a time of peace, that, that, that he is, he's making special n- mention of the narrative of Scripture and how in times of peace, peace was historically bad for the people of the covenant people of God, <laughs> and and how they were always going after other gods and serving other things during these oh, times of peace. But during a time of peace, they chose to fear the Lord and be comforted by that fear. So I, I uh, without going into too much detail, I painted this very big, lofty picture of God, and then to to talk about the intimacy of that, I used Timon and Pumbaa to make things real real. And how they Is there can, anything more real? I, I mean, yeah. Pumba. Pumba has some revelation about the stars that doesn't you know, he? Nobody, so, so he he makes big balls of gas burning <laughs> billions of miles away. Everything's big balls of gas to you, Pumba. <laughs> um, so he makes this statement of uh, when he's speaking to uh, Timon about Simba. They come up on him. He's he's dying. He's out there. He's like, uh, this thing's going to eat us. And he's like, yeah, but what if he grows up and he's on our side? And that was that was the the picture of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The, the fear of the Lord is he is awesome, and there's nothing like him. Awe-inspiring, that yeah. That's, it's breathtaking. People didn't fall down and die out of reverence when they had these throne room yeah. encounters. It was fear. It was, it was this tremble that was in their heart. Yeah. But then to realize that that infinite creature is on our side, yeah. that's the, that there's comfort. There's immense amount of comfort and peace that comes yeah. from that. So it was fun. It was good. That's great. Good time, man. That, that's powerful right there, actually. I think that... I think that um, understanding both of those elements of who God is is crucial uh, to our spiritual growth. If all of my spiritual life, uh, God is my buddy, I wake up at five in the morning, I talk to my buddy, and yeah. try to get some good stuff from my buddy, and oh, bad things happen to me today. I don't understand. We're, we buddy have an Jesus, imbalanced view, an imbalanced understanding of who God is. And uh, conversely, if um, God is a terrible God, uh, of whom we are not worthy at every single minute of our lives, we have an imbalanced view of the fact that he did become one of us. Yeah, this immutable God who is unchanging became flesh and yeah. dwelled among us. That's a, 
That's God with us. I mean, that's the most powerful of all encouraging words, and it is God's eminence writ large on history, you know? That's why I prefer the term the condescension opposed to the incarnation. I love the incarnation, but there's something about condescension that just makes me feel safe. Like, just the way that I condescend to my children, and I get down on their level, and I I express what I I perceive to be lofty things, God in his infiniteness. You know, I, I like how God through Christ, that Christ uses as he's teaching on the earth. He uses bread, leaven, and trees to express spiritual principles that are too profound for mankind. But in the same way, he himself made the fullness of God known by coming in the form of a man. That's eminence. Like his, his, (laughs) his constant ability to use earthly things to express divine things. That's what he did in the incarnation, in the condescension. Was and no one else could have done it like that. No one, yeah. no one can do me like Jesus. Mm. Is that is that a, a classic? It's a it's a it's an old saying that you just made up. Yeah, and, uh, oh, is, yeah. It, is it really? It's, a, it's great like that's a, that's that. A, yeah. Isn't it a a, a him? It, it could be a him or her, but uh, uh, I, I take that back. That, that was, was a dad joke. Was uh, we're five minutes into the broadcast. We mm. made a dad joke. Mm. Uh, you know, our buddy Jeff isn't here today. The yeah. instigator. And um, I guess that means that uh, that job falls to me because I am, <laughs> after all, the assistant instigator. Assistant to the rich instigator. Okay, yeah. Assistant to the instigator. That's okay. okay. That's, I understand that. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk for a second um, about staying on that, that plan of transcendence and eminence. Uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, many of us in Christianity are familiar with the creation story, mm-hmm. Genesis 1. Um, uh, a lot less of us are are um, interested in the fact that there are actually two creation narratives. That's right. Yeah. Genesis one and Genesis two. Now it's the same story. It's the same punctiliar moment in time. It is different narratives. All right, different perspectives, and and those perspectives actually inform a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if we were to begin first of all in Genesis one. The Bible teaches that God um, created the heavens and the earth. Now, of course, for those of you who are just now joining us uh, in, in this podcast, that your question might be, if you were an atheist or an agnostic, why do I care what the Bible says? Well, here's a nutshell uh, summation of what we talked about last week. We trust the Bible because we trust the apostles who wrote it. Mm-hmm. We trust the apostles who wrote it because we trust the Christ who sent them. And we trust the Christ who sent them because we trust the God who sent him. Our faith is only foundational in God alone. And because of who God is and because of how relational he is and how revelational he is, we therefore can trust the scriptures as his specific revelation. I uh, I shared a bed with uh, a student at church camp who was an atheist. Oh, yeah? So I spent the entire week with him, 2 o'clock one morning. He's like, yeah. I think I'm gonna do this. Like I think I think because he told me on the way up, he's like, "I'm either gonna spend my life dismembering atheism, or I'm gonna spend my life dismem- dismembering the Bible and Christianity." And I said, "Challenge accepted." Good. So we, we spent every night, you know, talking and walking through it. He he experienced the experiential presence, but he also experienced answers, which is foreign Ooh. in. Uh, a lot of Ooh, very dangerous, very so. dangerous to worship God with our minds. That's what I told him. Mind, yeah. soul, and strength. Isn't that interesting? Oh, man, I thought but, I thought as Pentecostals we were just about the heart. But, oh, no. but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. So so if we accept the Bible as God's specific revelation, and we demonstrated a, a plethora 
of reasons last mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a plethora uh, is? I do, El Guapo. I do know what a plethora is. <laughs> ah, excellent. <laughs> no, excellent. El Guapo, I do not. Because uh, I would not like to think that uh, one of my men would use the word plethora. And now I lost my train of thought. It's okay, uh, it's okay. Genesis 1, bara, the yeah. Hebrew word for create. Something out of nothing. Yeah, yeah God creates the cosmos. And, he, and the Hebrew word that's used here is bara. And this word is specifically used to speak of sort of an inspired type of creation, artistic creation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the f- most important things that I can point out about God and derivative from that, his creation, is to say that he did not need to create. Can we just dwell on that for a second? Absolutely. There was no necessity in creation. He did not need us. Well, God needs mankind to be an object of his love. That's heresy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if God needed anything in us, he would cease to be God, right? Right. And if God needed anything in the created world, he would cease to be God. Right? And, so, and so God does not create out of necessity at all. And that is, that is dogmatic, Josh. That's not speculative. If you don't accept that truth, that creation is not a utilitarian necessity, you are, in effect, arguing against this perfect one true God that mm. we've spent two episodes demonstrating. Right? Absolutely, yeah. And so if, if creation is not a necessity, why then did God create? Mm. And, and the Bible, uh, I believe, is quite clear in Revelation 4.11 when it says that God created for his pleasure. For his pleasure. Josh, if only there were a word for the act of creating something that is of no useful necessity but brings pleasure. Is there a word that, I mean, let's think Art comes to mind. Art. See, in my (laughs) perpetually 15-year-old mind, I was thinking of another word that rhymed with that one that my (laughs) wife would would be able to say, yeah, that's all he thinks about. Oh, my gosh. But yes, you're right. Art. Uh, Only art, right? God is the first artist. He's the first artist. He creates not out of necessity, but because he felt like it. Right. For the heck of it. You know, he creates. And and that bara verb in Genesis 1 is all about that. God being the supreme artist. We'll talk in in uh, anthropology in a couple of weeks when we cover that that episode. We'll talk a little bit about how uh, being made in the image of God is something artistic Mm -hmm. but we'll i'll let everybody think about that for a couple of weeks and then we'll come back and and sort of define art even you know and all of that sort of thing but for the moment uh being able to understand that god creates simply because he felt like it because it was it brought him pleasure he created for pleasure makes god the supreme artist and is there anything more transcendent than fine art Hmm. i think about it you know i mean we could uh, you and I have ten fingers and toes, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, if we were to go to Italy right now and and go see St. Peter's Basilica, and we would see what Michelangelo painted on the Sistine Chapel ceiling there, we would look at it and we would say, "Whoa, man, that's impressive." I mean, I've got the same ten fingers and toes that cat had, but mm-hmm. there is no way it looks like that if yeah. I get busy on yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, what does that say? Just the existence of this work of art bespeaks or implies that there is a gift that this guy had 
He's got something that you and I don't have, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're hiding something. I mean, um, yeah. No. Um, he's got a gift. He's got something we don't have. And so that implies a gift giver. And so do you understand how this work of art, which, by the way, is not particularly Jesus-y, it does not appear on KLTY, save for the whole family. It doesn't appear on anything Too along much those lines. In that, one. that was terrible, wasn't it? No, it's okay. I, I've worked on that for a week. Yeah, it's um, really yeah. prepping. How do I work this in yeah. there? <laughs> but none of that was that way. And yet the greatness, the majesty, the power of that work of art points which direction? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's therefore, by virtue of being art, true art, which is excellent and beautiful, it is doxological. True art is doxological. That is, true art always points the way to God, always glorifies God. Hmm. Because there can be no such thing as beauty that we all understand, and we covered that a couple of weeks ago. There can be no such thing as that unless there's someone over the top putting that in all of us. And so good art, by by virtue of its very beauty, points the way to God. Hmm. Even if, by the way, the artist wasn't a Christian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Michelangelo was as far from a Christian as, as there could be. Yeah. And yet his art glorifies God, he whether he case, meant for it. Too. For truth in the same light, that truth is God's truth, whether mm-hmm. it was directly spoken by him or spoken by me. That's or correct. Or spoken by some hobo down the road. Hold on a second. Really? Let me think about that again. What's zero times any number? Zero. Now, where is that in the Bible? That's what I'm saying. Zebras, ah! <laughs> zebras, zebras aren't in the Bible. Dinosaurs aren't. The, just because they're not sure, there doesn't mean we don't believe in them. Mexican food, Mexican, not in the Bible. But we believe in it. And them. we know that's holy. But it's true. Right? It's sacramentally holy. Mexican I mean, food, it's, man. It's biblically founded. It's no, absolutely. I don't, I don't know I, about have, biblically, but have to, theologically. I'll find found. a verse this week. <laughs> if, if you're out there and you can like proof to the scriptures to, to proof text something, you can email me at Josh. Dot, I don't care at remnantradio.com. And uh, <laughs> we can, we'll proof text that one for you. Yes, yes, uh, we will. It's it's a great, great program so far. I want to know, let you know if you're watching the program, ask your questions. We're talking about the Trinity specifically. Uh, we, we believe in a God, but which God is he? We think that we can make the case that a Trinitarian God is the God of gods. Uh, if, if, if you can say it that way, that seems mm-hmm. kind of circular in logic. We've got a lot of people watching. Mike Tracy's watching. Edward, uh, I'm sorry, Edward Edwin's watching. He's coming on tonight. He's the Methodist minister that we have coming right. on to talk about water baptism. We're going to be covering regenerative baptism, paedo-baptism. We're going to be covering all the, the main oh, topics of baptism. Yeah. We're going to be discussing that with someone from a different flavor, which is going to be good for us. I'm good, excited. good. We're, we intend to uh, cover some of that topic when we get to ecclesiology in a few weeks as That's well. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you're going to get a heavy dose of baptismal discussions this summer. We, you, yeah. One might say you might be immersed in the we, discussion. One could be immersed, or, you know, if you chose to be sprinkled with the truth of yeah, the doctrine. But we don't that, save in spots. We yeah, believe in I see. Immersion. I understand. I see where uh, you're headed there. I hope uh, your Methodist friend is watching that right no, now. No, he knows it's a joke. <laughs> he knows it's a joke. Yeah, the, um, if, if the first chapter is bara, about God's artistic creation, this is God's art, right? Mm-hmm. The beauty of all this. Genesis 2 uses a different Hebrew word to speak about what God did in creation. It uses the Hebrew word asa. And asa means to make, more like a craftsmanship. Yeah. yeah. 
And so, um, for example, um, in a previous life, I used to be a, a trim carpenter, cabinet okay. maker. And so, you know, I would I would take uh, pieces of wood and I would I'd run them through the router. And I was never wealthy enough to have like the industrial router, so I'd buy like a a two by twelve and put a hole in it and bolt my router oh, upside router. down, yeah. yeah, and and make a router table that way. And you could you could make the I made all the trim in my old house before we sold it, you mm-hmm. know, all the baseboard and door casing and I make uh, you know a chest of drawers and the entertainment center and things like that. That's craftsmanship. That that's where you're sitting there paying attention to every little detail. I'm not going to be off by even a sixteenth of an inch mm-hmm. on this thing. And the, um, this is this is this is asa craftsmanship, right? And and so God is not just an artist like Michelangelo. He's a true craftsman like some of those old carpenters who taught me. Mm-hmm. You know, guys that could just make this beautiful freestanding uh, thing. Not exactly art. It's more craft, right? And, and I want you to notice that the Bible presents God both ways, as artist and as craftsman as mm. well. He's both. He's both. Which are both arguments we've placed before. Say again? These are both arguments that we've placed before. If there is a creation, there must be a creator. If That's exactly a, right. If there's beauty, there That's must exactly be an artist. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. And so he's, arguments again. He's, not, he, he's not just one. He is also the other. He's not just one. He's also the other. And in, in, in that regard... We see once again a balance that we have to embrace both. Just mm-hmm. like we have to embrace his transcendence and his eminence, we must also embrace his bara as well as his asa. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's that we're going to get a, a, a more holistic picture of God in that regard. And as we read about him, and, and this is probably as good a time as any to, to spend a couple of minutes talking about um creation controversy isn't it yeah uh, no yeah i yeah. love it because that's this is where the gap theory comes in and i was discussing mm-hmm. with the student and please correct me um but, but you're corrected okay excellent let me just i was speaking yeah, with the, so the same student about the creation narrative and and one of the students in the back was like trying to convince him to be a believer because god created the earth in seven 24-hour intervals and i was like okay guys like i love you all there's a lot of a lot of um ambiguity i think with different camps um but i made the case and I know there's lots of schools of thought on this, that the Bible was not written as a science book, and it's not its intention to no. prove through scientific, scientific evidence that it was created in 24-hour, you know, seven-day, mm-hmm. 24-hour increments. That being said, I support anyone who wants to believe that. Like, I'm all for it. Go for it. But to build an argument on something that the Bible isn't necessarily there for, I think is a weak argument. And I was trying to explain that to exactly right. the atheistic guy. Like, if you you make an argument that the the earth is not the earth the earth there's four different colors in the color spectrum there's red green blue and cyan right and there's red green blue for sure but if i'm trying to convince you of cyan and that can be disproven and that can be kicked out from under you well then there's no red green blue either oh. so what is true becomes untrue by the populace because i've built an, a weak argument mm-hmm. so disjunctive syllogism yeah. there you go so yeah. so the goal is let's make sure that we say what the bible says and if the bible's not intended for that specific purpose again you know mm-hmm. uh, you're a little more charitable than i am josh but then that doesn't surprise me i love orphans and widows let me uh let me approach it this way uh i mentioned carpentry and tools a second ago i mentioned my router Router, you know, is a tool about this wide, about this long. It has a bit, you know, and it's a big tool. And you use it to make grooves in your hardwood, right? Mm -hmm. 
What would happen if I attempted to make those same grooves with just a hammer and a screwdriver? Uh, it would look awful. It would look awful. You would have I could probably still everything. get done, but it would look terrible, and nobody would want that in their house, right? Amen. Just like you could, you could rebuild the engine to your car with a ball-peen hammer and a pair of pliers. It would take you about 252 years. And it would sound and it would look awful <laughs> coming down the road. <laughs> right? yeah. If it even got on the road, right? Yeah. But it's, that's the <laughs> same thing with these people who attempt to take the Bible and shoehorn it into uh, a, a geology book, the people who believe that the Bible is the handbook of Christian living. Yeah. It's none of those things. Yeah. It's none of those things. And it wasn't intended to be read in that fashion. And when you try to read it in that fashion, that's like trying to cut beautiful grooves in a piece of hardwood with a screwdriver and a hammer. Mm-hmm. It just don't work. Yeah. And, uh, and God did not mean for you to use his book like it's a tool. That's not. He wants you to read and be immersed in it and see his revelation from all of these perspectives in it and to grow deeper in him. And he doesn't mean for you to take it and wield it like it's a a crosscut saw and then put it back in its case. And that's that's not how the Bible was intended to be used. There is there should be no reputable theologian left making the argument that the day each day in Genesis was a literal 24 hour period of time. Now, I say that in full view, knowing that your comments there will, are. will blow up with yeah. all kinds of people. That uh, there, are, there are plenty of theologians who are saying that still. Right. I remember being absolutely shocked in seminary. Uh, I, just a, I won't mention any names, but in, in, uh, in, it took my Old Testament class in seminary, and I wasn't about to believe anything that could legitimately be disproven. And... Uh, everybody in my Old Testament class was talking about this on an online discussion forum. And they all were like six literal day people. The earth is 6,000 years old. Let's ban Halloween, et cetera, et cetera. All these people, right? And I just... <laughs> Those things are mutually yeah, exclusive. And, <laughs> and, you know, uh, they're all like conflicted about whether or not they should mention Santa Claus to their kids and things right. like that. That's that crowd. And I, and I was like stupefied. Look, we're in graduate school, people. I mean, how can anyone reputable say this? And then they all dogpiled me, right, Uh in this discussion forum. And as I, you know, tried to wriggle uncomfortably out from beneath their dogpile virtually, the PhD professor then soared through the air and landed on the top of the dogpile on me to tell me, well, it has to be a literal day. And I I was like, I'm done. I don't understand. And now I've I've got, uh, I've I've talked to a whole lot more people uh, throughout the years and um, been, been involved in a lot of studies on this. And, and it's really not that difficult an argument. Look, the Hebrew word yom, day, it can be a 24 hour period of time, Mm -hmm. right? The next day, Abraham got up and did this thing. It can be used that way, but it can also be used metaphorically as an epoch of time. Yeah. In that day, the lion will lay down with the or lamb. in the last days, yeah. I'll part my spirit. And, no, sure. and nobody can, takes that to be a literal 24-hour period. It's a metonymy of phrase, meaning a period of time, right? And, and again, the, nobody here is saying that God didn't create the heavens and the earth. What we're saying is the purpose of Genesis is to say God created everything, then he created man, Mm -hmm. and man fell away, and there's a story of redemption of God's greatness and how great and awesome that God is. And we see this redemptive historical account of how that took place. The goal of Genesis is not to say science. The goal of Genesis is to say God created everything. He had a relationship with you. That's a perfect way of looking at it. That God is the author. He is the artist. He is the maker. It's God-centered. How he did it is of 
no concern really to yeah. the theologian. And and one more thing I'll say before we leave the, the creation debate, we'll get your comments, Blair, and yeah, pretty good come on. here, Let's man. Get them roasted. Um, so what if you believe in the twenty four hour, the literal? If you're a hyper literalist like that, that means that you have to define a day. Uh, in a relatively new fashion, by the way, uh, a Gregorian fashion. A yeah. day is 24 hours, which is how long? That's the time that it takes for what to happen? For the Earth to revolve around the sun. Okay, one time. Or actually for the Earth to rotate, right? Uh, yeah, I said yeah, to revolve around the sun. We're yeah. flying through that's the universe. That's a year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to revolve, yes. Okay, yeah, so yeah. If, that, if that's the case, um, I'll accept that definition, by the way. I'll subtract two um, there. But I'll, if I take that definition <laughs> right there, the next thing I want to know is... I'm a flat earther. None of this applies to me. I'm notice that with it. the sun was not created until the third day. Right. How can this be yeah. if it's a literal day? All right, so let's move on. Uh, there, there's, there's plenty more we can talk about on that. I try never to get embedded too much uh, in in time things. Genesis 1 through 11, when we start counting years and days and we start trying to figure how old is man and all Math that, we run into like four different calendars and re methods of reckoning time. And it's not, this is not, um, this is really not our business, to be honest with yeah. you. Uh, it doesn't threaten theism or Christianity at all for the earth to be four and a half, uh, 250 million years old and the universe four and a half billion years old. There's no threat. To theology and right, that, so uh, it's it's like uh, you know me and my wife jump in a car and we go from point A to point B and I'm telling someone the story. It's like, well, you didn't mention the 1600 cars that you passed on the highway. That's you didn't mention right. the, the fast food place. You didn't mention. Well, of course, I'm not lying to you. It's just irrelevant to the narrative of the story that I'm trying to tell. Good so point. As you a have great these, analogy, man. As you have these authors who are coming in who are telling a story, it's like, but you didn't mention that and you left out this and you intentionally ignored that. It's like, but it didn't matter. It's not a part of the story. I I have an intention. It, opposed to common thought, you know, the Holy Spirit did not just like possess this person like they're completely demonized and like take over their hand and like force it to the page. And no, he the author has a narrative and an intention that he's trying to lead his readers to. And uh, and because of that, there are things that are left out. There are things that are over overstated or understated for the purpose of the story, not necessarily to be. Um, a history book. I hope you don't mind that I steal that analogy yeah, next time do. I'm teaching a class. That's yeah. great, man. I really, I really like that. Yeah. I think, I think that if we accept God on God's terms by faith, which is really the definition of all true theology, you mm -hmm. know, the the belief that I'm placing my faith in God first, and then that I'll, I'll seek reason from that vantage point, not backwards, not the other way around. The next thing we have to learn is why why does there always seem to be a concept of plurality when it comes to uh, talking about God, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, and that's that's what get, where life gets a little bit fascinating here is that the the early church um, uh, definitely wrestled with this for a couple of centuries before they finally said, you know what, we better put this on paper. Uh, before uh, before this gets out of hand. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that those those, those early councils um, all took a vote and said, that's it, from this day forward, we're all Trinitarian, and you, Arius, you, you go on the other way. That's not actually what happened. What happened was the, that early council in Nicaea, that was just a consensus. Hey, did, you believe this too? You believe this too? You believe this too? And they, they found a way to iron it out in language, 
And, and so it's an example of how the Spirit was moving the church. He was guiding his church the whole way. Yeah. And there was this consensus, this corroboration in the community of faith of what the truth was. The oneness of heart and mind. Yeah. As well. yeah. And so one of my favorite uh, ways of thinking about Trinity was written by an Eastern Orthodox theologian named Zahn uh, Zizoulas. And what he wrote at the beginning of his book um, was, God exists in community. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He exists in community. And because he exists in community, that then helps us to understand why community between us is so important to God. Yeah. Right? And why it's impossible, really, for a Christian to live divorced from community. What does it mean to be fallen from God, it means to be divorced from community with God, mm -hmm. right? And so there is something there that's extremely analogous and significant to the Christian walk, the understanding of how God exists in community, right? And, and that people, can be expressed even, you know, we keep going to the, the natural things outside of, outside of strictly Bible, but you see that we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate marriage, we say, we, we mourn divorce. That's we right. mourn death. Why? Yeah. It's because that's a permanent severing of a relationship. Of community. Of yeah. community. When, when, com when you're brought into community, it's a celebration. When you're separated from community, there's a mourn. There's a, there's a, there's a sadness. There's a, something in the human ethos that comprehends, like, this is not a good thing. That's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful, man. We'll, we'll come back so to that in ecclesiology. Yeah. 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 Um, but God... Uh, because he, some people might ask, well, where do you get the concept of Trinity in the Bible? I'm looking in my Bible. I'm looking for a proof text here. I'm looking for that. Please don't, please don't use the Bible like that. Yeah. That's, that's, please don't do that. Get out of that. The that Google habit. theologians. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. Uh, what, what we notice is that in every book of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, every single book of the Bible, the doctrine of the Trinity is explicated a little bit more and more. And, mm -hmm. and it is in a holistic and total understanding of the scriptures, the scriptural witness itself, that we can articulate a doctrine of Trinity. Uh, so, so those early church fathers that, that put it on paper in the Nicene Creed and then the Chalcedonian Creed, when they did those things in the ecumenical councils, they weren't making stuff up. This right. came directly from Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so when someone says, well, show me that, show me your verse in the Bible, um, it, I just I grow weary of the proof texting thing for yeah, sure. It's, because it's it, not yeah. a proof texting thing. It's an overarching standing yeah. back. It's consuming very much like I want to let me read the Bible this way. And in yeah. fact, if you read it this way, it's all saying the same thing, you yeah. know, and uh, and and so Trinity is is written on the pages of Scripture. Is the word Trinity in there? No. However, the concept is from the very first Shema. The Godhead. Yeah. Je uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says the Lord our God is one. Ichad in Hebrew means one, but it's plural. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And and Jesus, Jesus says, I and the father are one. Mm -hmm. Right. What's he saying? there? He's calling himself God. Mm -hmm. Right. And and John, the uneducated fisherman, writes of Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The Logos was with God mm -hmm. and he was God. That's right. And all things were made by him and without him was nothing made that was made. Mm -hmm. So John has just called him God and 
there at the dawn of creation, the active agent in creation, right? That's so right. Jesus is God. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus says that, that uh, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. And my, my Eastern uh, brothers and sisters would say the Father alone. Uh, and then we Westerners would say, well, he pr- proceeded from Jesus as well. But that's a different discussion. Uh, but the Spirit is spoken of in the same uh, divine sense, which is why when Jesus is baptized, you see Jesus physically standing in front of a river, and you hear the audible voice of God the Father, and you see a manifestation of God the Spirit. Yeah. All three in the same passage. And this happens so many different ways in Scripture that the, the early church fathers were really forced to conclude that there is one God in three persons. One James God. White would say one it and three who's, right? One it and three who's. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> uh, one God in three persons. Now, I will tell you that we could start talking about the uh, fleshing out of the doctrine of the Trinity today and be here for seven weeks without stopping to take a break. And we still would not exhaust everything that's been written, studied, and bandied about on this. And mm-hmm. this is an area of specialty for me in my training as well. Uh, but, but for the purposes of our audience here, to understand that the Bible it, it speaks of Trinity so consistently all through, then here's the question. If the Bible speaks of God as three in one, mm-hmm. if it speaks of his three in one-ness in that regard, is it necessary that we really affirm this fact, this creedal confession? Can't I mm. just ask Jesus into my heart without making this confession of sorts? Or so you have you have friends who are Jehovah's Witnesses, you have friends who are Mormons, you have friends who are Holiness Pentecostals, right? You have these individuals who they're close in some respects and far in others. And so, not to say that all of those are in the same camp either. I know that my my oneness friends would say. Whoa, whoa, don't throw us in the camp with the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, that's not, we don't like that. I, I hear you. But but when it comes to identity of God and, and his divinity, which talks about, and we'll probably get in this in Christology and pneumatology as well, but um, that Christ is not a created being, mm-hmm. you know, that he, he is pre-existent all mm-hmm. things, that he, he was pre-eternal with the Father. That those, those kinds of ideas are unique. Um, and scripture evangelicalism yeah and and they are they are so so what do we do with these camps that are like uh jesus the father we call it modalism or arianism or some of these kinds of mm-hmm. what, what we would call historic heresies um of of the early church how do we treat these people maybe holiness pentecostals would be the best example because they have faith and repentance they have baptism no, we're, yeah we're gonna get we're gonna get there actually i want to I want to start first of all with an earlier heresy than any of those okay and that is and that is gnosis Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Right? Sure. The idea First of the John. Gnostics, yeah, the Gnostics believed that that the flesh was evil and terrible That's and right. that it was evil and and that the soul <laughs> was good. And and so that if you had a body, it was an evil body. That's that's what they understood. They they saw it that way, and, and you can't even keep a straight face during this. Man, of trying. I can't. By the way, right now, uh, Remnant Radio is taking your donations to upgrade our studio here today, and if possible, we'd love for you to donate one million dollars. Is that outrageous? That was the cheapest ever. That was that the was, cheapest one ever. I was trying to two for one. I yeah, was trying I hear to. You. Yeah, we'll close in prayer. Um, 
No, they, uh, and I've lost my train of thought with all the different other impressions. You say where to start? Gnosticism. Yeah, yeah. No, the Gnostics <laughs> taught that the the body was wicked, the soul was good, and everything has to be done in that way. And so you you don't want to uh, exercise, you don't want to eat right, you don't you, all the appetites that you have physically are bad, and you shouldn't mess with any of that stuff. And it's all about learning. It's all about something internal. It's almost what a is, Buddhist self infliction. Yeah, what is immaterial? Is important. What is material is not important. All right, but that was early on a heresy. That was wrong. Yeah, First John uh, yeah. addresses it. And, yeah. and so, and out of that, uh, out of that heresy arose an even more specific heresy called Docetism in the second century, which taught that Jesus only seemed to be human. That he wasn't really right. human, and that, that therefore, because he wasn't really human, they didn't really kill him on the cross. And so, you know that. And, and then other offshoots of that might even argue, well, it was a, more of a spiritual resurrection than mm-hmm. a physical resurrection. This dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual is heretical. Absolutely. Now, this is important that we catch this here, because if all we're doing, if all, if we believe that all that is important is that I ask Jesus into my heart, by the way, a phrase that does not Happen. occur anywhere in scripture, nowhere. all right? That if all I have to do is have Jesus in my heart, it doesn't matter if I embrace the Trinity or not. That is a modern form of docetism because mm. what we have done is we have interiorized, we have made completely interior our belief in God. It does not. It, it is. It is purely this way. But there is no creedal confession, which would then be physical, yeah. right? And so that's that's why classical Pentecostalism, by the way, is a Pentecostalism that experiences something from God, but grounds it in a creedal confession there you doctrine, go. right? And so, what what should be happening here is is we should all be asking ourselves the question: Which God are we worshiping, Josh? Uh, if if it is possible that I can ask Jesus into my heart and I can be a lifelong Christian without ever having affirmed uh, that God is one God, three persons, if, if I can do that, then that means that all of Orthodox Christianity for 2,000 years was full of it, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a form of docetism, to believe that we can accept a little bit here, but not the whole ball of wax, right? right? And so that's a big problem. That's a big problem right there, because the question is, which God are we worshiping? Well, lay that on me for a second, because you, you said, if we don't accept the whole ball of wax, okay, what if someone has a different position on baptism, for example? You know, that's not a damnable heresy. Mm-hmm. I why would agree. It, why is it? That's not a heresy at all. Right. Yeah. So so why why would this be considered heretical when you say the whole ball? What is it specifically about? Well, as we'll see in the, over the course of the next three, four weeks or so, the whole ball of wax uh, can can be used to describe the five cardinal doctrines of Christianity, Uh-oh. right? There is uh, one God eternally coexisting in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, all right? Mm-hmm. Mankind is born fallen, depraved, uh, worthless, broken, has to be saved from outside himself. That salvation can only come through the name of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has instituted the church as a means of growing the individual and as his corporate bride. These are, and for whom he's returning. So, so of those five, I have a friend who believes that the Holy Spirit is not a person, and that he proceeds from the character and the nature of the Father, that he's a force that comes mm-hmm. from those five cardinal rules would not have actually addressed that issue. That's correct. Actually, it would address that issue. It's the number one. 
really? There is okay. one God really? eternally coexistent in, in three, three persons, persons right? Okay. And so if you it. deny the personhood of one of those, then you are actually denying the biblical witness, the, the witness of Scripture, and the witness of Scripture as it has been promulgated and corroborated in the community of faith throughout 2,000 years of history. Okay. And therefore, as nice as our friend may be, he, he stands outside the lines of, of Orthodox Orthodoxy. Christianity, yeah. right? And so the other, the other things that take place can be things about which we quibble, eschatology, you right. know? Uh, what kind of baptism? We're all agreeing that we must right. have baptism. That's in that fifth cardinal doctrine. But what kind? Well, we Even can disagree on that. Soteriology, yeah. the study of salvation. You might think it happens one way. I might think it happens another. Mm-hmm. But as long as it happens, if it's that's happening, essential. that's, yeah. And so for today's discussion, when I talk about the whole ball of wax, I'm talking about triunity, the triunity of God. I if I just accept Jesus without also accepting the God who sent him as father, Mm -hmm. then what God am I really serving here? Because one of the first uh, things that we learn in history is the dangerous ramifications of heresy. Let's are you a hunter, Josh? Do you do any hunting? Anybody in our I've audience? I've got a three-year-old yeah. that likes to run out in the parking lot sometime. That's about as, as oh, much hunting that's as actually, I do. That's actually more skilled hunting than yeah. what I normally do. Yeah. Um, I, love, I love to go hunting. Um, I hunt all kinds of things. I'd love to go hunting with you. Nobody, uh, nobody We should do this. Me. We yeah. should do this, man. Uh, in fact, we'll we could podcast. actually podcast yes. from a deer blind Let's this winter. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, someone remind me that idea. I said that as we move closer to November. This will yeah. be the highest rated video in the history of <laughs> Remnant Radio. Um, this will be where Josh finally shoots me. But anyway. Theological uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. When I'm getting ready to go uh, for, for deer season to begin, I want to sight my rifle. All right? Mm-hmm. And so you sight the rifle that's got, it's got um, a scope. Mine has my 270 has a scope on it. And I'll, I'll go 100 yards away from my target, all right? And I will, I will put three rounds downrange right in the center of that target and look at where that grouping is, all right? And I notice, hey, that grouping is about six inches lower than the bullseye, you mm-hmm. know? That's why you shoot a grouping so you get a good feel, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll take a dime. You're supposed to have a screwdriver, but none of us ever bring one of those in the field, you know? And you, and you just move that sight one click, and that one click, it doesn't feel like much where you are, but man, it raises at six inches at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. Now you think about your target being 300 yards away, and you were already, you were six inches off at 100 yards. At 300 yards, you're 18 inches off. Mm. You're now shooting in thin air, you, and, that, and at 2,200 uh, feet per second. You're, you're safer as the target at that point. Yeah, you're, you're actually going to hurt somebody if mm-hmm. you don't sight your rifle correctly because what looks like a tiny little movement here has major ramifications mm. downrange. I see what you're doing. And here. it's exactly the same thing with heresy. If we believe, for example, that Jesus is a created being here, yep. and, we don't ma- and you say, Mitchell, you're nitpicking with your little correction here. Just hold on, cotton picking minute. Yeah. Uh, we had a guy once who said this. Mm-hmm. His name was Arius. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a created being. Well, let's take that out to its logical conclusion downrange. All right. If Jesus is a created being, then how can he be the savior? Right. Yeah. Hey, only God can save. The Bible has been clear about that in all 39 books of the Old Testament. That's right. So if only God can save. All right, then Jesus cannot save if he is a created being, right? Yeah. And so Arius 
Arianism, as it's called, it denies the divinity of Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even beyond that, I think Isaiah, there's no God before me. There will be no God after you me. You believe it. Right? Yeah. And like That's the exactly idea right. that he is a created being, but he's the creator of everything, denotes that he is God. Right, so someone makes and it has the case. always been gone. Yeah, well, well, he makes the yeah. case. You know, I'm I'm the creator of all things. It's like, okay, well, you're mm-hmm. if if Christ is the creator of all things and he was created after God, that makes him a god that came after God. Why not five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty? And once right? again, you're arguing with the Bible. Now. I'm using the Bible right? to make logical yeah. conclusions. Yeah. Absolutely. And so and so you you can't have that. And that's why the early church uh, saw, read with alarm what Arius was doing, and they said, let's have a council. Let's get together on this. Have you guys been teaching this? What about you guys in Asia Minor? What about you guys? You guys, hey, we've all been teaching the same thing. We've all been reading the same letters. We've all been acknowledging the same mm. truth about God, except you, bro. Except you, Arius. You are the one that's different. Please give a defense for why you believe that we should all change what we've been teaching for 300 years. Go ahead. They give Arius the, the floor. He stands up and gives an impassioned defense of Arianism. And meanwhile, the Bishop of Smyrna is, is sitting across the table just getting angrier and angrier at Arius. You can't believe that he is just, are you serious? And he's just getting hotter and hotter. I mean, after all, I mean, what more proper defense is there for us to make than a defense of the one true God, right? Oh, yeah. And so this bishop is hot, man. And finally... He's, he's had it. He can take no more. He stands up from his place at the table and strides across the room and punches Arius right in the grill. And, you know, the poor bishop, he's got to spend the night in jail over it, you know. And, and legend has it that angels came and ministered to him and all that. <laughs> we can't corroborate that part. Oh, but, but we do know that the punch took place. And as, as a little trivia question for our people in Remnant Radio Land, do you know the name of this bishop? Of I have no clue that this even happened. Santa Claus. No. St. Nicholas did this. This is St. Nicholas. Santa Claus delivered a punch before he delivered presents? That's why my favorite Christmas meme is a picture of St. Nicholas in the Eastern Orthodox picture that says, I came to give presents to children and punch heretics, and I'm all out of presents. Oh, my God. Fact. Yeah. And so... Next time, by the way, next time you run into the Earth is only uh, 6,000 years old homeschooling, let's ban Halloween crowd, yeah. and they start the thing about Santa Claus, mm-hmm. you can say, no, Santa's cool, you know? No, yeah. <laughs> he defends the Bible more That's than you right, do. That's right, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's gold. Oh, my gosh. It's gold, Jerry. Um, <laughs> and so then, and then the, the, another guy, uh, about two or three decades later, you know, he's, he's like, man, I don't want to end up like Arius, man. They... They anathematize that guy. He's cursed. He's teaching a different God, right? Yeah. He's yeah. teaching idolatry. He, Arius thinks he's Christian, but by not affirming Trinity, by denying the divinity of Jesus Christ, he's actually teaching another God, which wow. is called idolatry, right? That's good. So first commandment, he's violated it. So this other guy named Sibelius is like, you know what? I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to make his mistake. I'm going the other extreme. Mm-hmm. God is so much trinity that he's three. He's just three, baby. Just three. That's all you got to know, man. You know, he's matter of fact, he's Josh, he's kind of like an egg. Oh no, right? here it comes. Yeah, yeah, he's got like the shell. That's motorism and, and, and the yolk and 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 then he's got the whites of the egg. It's one egg, but you see how he can't also be the yolk while he's being the shell. Yeah, you see, that's like Trinity, and that's 
Modalism. That's modalism, modalism Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. Say, by so, the way, you're going to have to go through yeah, this. Yeah. It's, Tell it's them where it Lutheran is. It's Lutheran satire. Okay. Or, or, yeah. Lutheran satire is the channel, and it's called St. Patrick and... Uh, I forget the guy's names, uh, but there it is a hysterical <laughs> little cartoon. And very orthodox. Where, very orthodox, <laughs> where, where, where St. Patrick is trying to express what the Trinity is using uh, illustrations. Yeah. And how, how ultimately every single illustration falls short, and they, they push him all the way to a creedal confession of what the Trinity is. And he's like, it's the God of all gods before, you know, he, he explains uh, what that creedal confession is, and they go... Ah, why did you say so? And ultimately, <laughs> the conclusion of the film is to use satire to express theology. Uh, can that a, be done? Yes. Can, can we do that? Uh, I hope so. I wasn't aware. Or I we thought, are wasting yeah. our time. Yeah, I thought that satire was like of the devil or something. We had to be very serious and constipated at all times, Josh. That's what I was under under the impression <laughs> of. But um, yeah, Sibelius, you know, he's the one that says, "Well, there's three, and uh, and and what he, he he does, he he exists in modes. You know, like like me, for example." Uh, I am a pastor, I am a professor, and I am also a contractor, right? And mm-hmm. so you know, I'm wearing my professor hat today, I wore, wore my pastor hat yesterday, and I'm wearing my contractor hat here in a little bit or whatever, you sure. know? Uh, that's modalism also because I cannot wear all three hats at the same time, right? right? And so that's the problem with modalism. And so really any analogy of the Trinity, I can't say this enough. Any analogy of the Trinity is a bad analogy because there is nothing in nature that can possibly correspond to God. He's God. He's uncreated. We are created. Nothing in nature corresponds to that. So no analogy will work. As the two monks in the film will, will tell you, the, the Trinity is something which must be learned and confessed. By faith, just like your belief in God. The early medievals actually had a diagram that they used. Mm -hmm. Not an analogy, a diagram. Now, I meant to bring it, and I forgot. So along the way, you know, we we like to use what we have, right, Mm -hmm. to to teach people things. And so what what I've done here is I'd I'd like to let this Whataburger cup represent God. All right? There's one God. All of its infinite. Right? This is this is God right here. Now Please don't just cut this video off right there at that statement. Make sure you've heard everything else least, we have said. It's and a we'll full say cup after. for yeah. those of you who are watching and don't right. can't tell. It's at least full. <laughs> and and so there is God, but God exists in three persons. He's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what the, and really, it's supposed to look more like this. But yeah. for the sake of the camera angle. Yeah. And so, and so what the medievals did is they had lines. They had lines that would go from God to each person in the Godhead. So if this is the sun, for example, you had a line here, and in Latin it would say est or is. Mm-hmm. So the sun is God. That's right. God is the sun. The same thing over here. God is the Father, the Father is God. Same thing with the Spirit. The Spirit is God. God is the Spirit. Okay? But they also had lines outside forming the triangle right. that said is not. So that you the could be not the Yeah. Son. So the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. Mm-hmm. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. 
the spirit is not the father. Mm -hmm. And by teaching that diagram, that's not an analogy. That's a creedal confession. That's basically a chalcedon wrapped up in one picture, Mm -hmm. what that is, you know? And so... And so by doing that, they were able to catechize people into Trinitarian. This is the right way to think about God. There's one God coexistent in three persons, all right? But we do not want to conflate the personages of God. We only want to confess one God coexistent in three persons. It may sound complicated, but part of the, part of the problem with evangelicalism is this mythological belief that God doesn't expect us to know things. He just wants us to feel something, Josh. Mm-hmm. I was just supposed to experience something. All this head knowledge is not important. Uh, you know, so what are you saying when you're saying that the heart needs something, but the head is unimportant? Again, docetism. Yeah, right? it's good. <laughs> a false dichotomy. It's a spiritual uh, thing. And, and the Lord said uh, to worship the Lord your God with your whole heart. And, and with your whole mind as well. And so real quickly, we just have a few minutes left. I want to I talk from there about how we end up with some bad heresies. For example, uh, Arianism mm-hmm. is a problem with the inner line. The son is not God, mm-hmm. right? Sabellianism is a, or modalism is a problem with the exterior lines, you know, basically run, letting them run together. they all are one. Yeah. Right. And and we have other kinds. Patrapassianism. Can you say that word? Patrapassianism. Yeah. That's the belief that God, the Father, died on the cross for your sins. Mm. Minus 40 points, you fail the course. God, the Father, did not no die on the for cross you. for your sins. <laughs> no soup for you. <laughs> he did not die on the cross for your sins. God, the Son, died on the cross for your sins. That's right. And it's not nitpicking. Remember, if we're one click off here, 100 yards downrange, we're missing our target. That's right. It's really important that we get the creedal confession right and then grow spiritually from there. That's and, important. And this, this dialogue, we have had a Trinitarian conversation with Dr. Scott Harrell. Oh, that is one um, of the best ones to have one. We will yeah. have him doing Christology here in a couple of weeks. So he's coming back on in July. I'll get the dates for you guys if you're interested. But it's going to be a killer. Is episode. it going to be next week by any chance? Um, it might be next week. Because we're also going to be talking about Christology it might next be. It's, week. It's you're going to have a double shot at DTS yeah, next it's, week. It's early, it's early <laughs> July. I know that. And uh, I'm going to ask questions to him like, did Jesus do everything as a man or did he do some things on the earth as God? We're going to ask questions good. like that. We're going to ask questions like, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. Great. Uh, there's a lot of um, Hypostatic union questions, things. Man. Yes. Yeah. There's mainstream questions and mainstream things that are being said that I question, go, is it fair to say that? So we're gonna have we're gonna have some. Fun we're, we will delve into hypostatic union. Uh, hey, please leave the father alone. I'm sorry. Yeah, there are hypostatic union things we're going to talk about next week. Uh, for for right now, what's important is that we confess the existence of one God coexistent eternally in three persons. Now, one of the things you are seeing as a problem is when we create false dichotomies. And evangelicals are famous for this. Yeah. We create false dichotomies between the physical and the spiritual. Between, when I was getting my license to preach, I remember one of the three guys on my panel warned me because we were moving to go to seminary. He said, now listen, don't let all that book learning that you have to do in seminary chase away the Holy Spirit in your life. If the, the Holy, Holy Spirit are yeah. afraid of words? Yeah. If the, by the way, if the Holy Spirit can be chased away or blocked in some sense, then he's not really God, 
right? Yeah. And so this guy was Gnostic. He was Docetist and didn't realize it, right? Yeah. And so we create these false dichotomies in that way. If we affirm that the Spirit is God, then he's omnipotent and omniscient and all yeah. those things we've already talked about, right? And so what we want to avoid are dichotomies like that. I'd, I'd like to leave you with a couple of ramification questions here. Back to God being the creator and the maker. What are the ramifications of Trinity in our lives, for, first of all? Uh, what, what are the ram- I take it that the most Trinitarian prayer of all is a prayer prayed to the Father by the power of the Spirit in the name of the Son, Jesus. Uh, the, you know, and, and there are practical ramifications that take place in our lives as well. We won't have time to cover all of those, but you could comment in and perhaps we could get a discussion going Absolutely. on some of those. Um, but let's talk about a couple of ramifications about God the Creator and God the Maker. If, if God is an excellent craftsman who makes things, what does that say for what he values in our work? Yeah, that's our good. excellence, right? Yeah. And if God is a creator who finds beauty in his work, what does that say about our ability to look around and see non-utilitarian beauty, mm-hmm. right? We should be able to appreciate useless beauty in that sense. And so this week, as we continue meditating on the Trinity and get ready to talk about Jesus Christ, let's do something that appreciates useless beauty this week while being excellent. Amen. No, hey, so we got a minute left in the program. Thank you guys so much for watching this week. I really want to encourage you to go to our website at theremnantradio.com and donate for us there. We're trying to raise $25,000 during the month of June. Uh, I'm sorry, we're trying to raise $25,000 total during the month of June. Uh, we have a donor who's committed to give $5,000 or to match up to $5,000. So if you haven't done that yet, please go to our website and give. We've had um, and multiple thousands come in, probably close to three, probably bumping on four right now. So I'd really, really encourage you, please give uh, during the month of June while it is, while, while you still can uh, give during the month of June. It's going to be a blessing for us to get this gospel message out on multiple satellite networks. So I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in every single week. We'll see you tonight. Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.